everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as witch casting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches and our wonderful world of magic. Welcome back, everyone. Today, my special guest is Melanie Bick. Melanie has a lot to offer, so I don't know where to start this interview. But Melanie, introduce yourself. I don't really know where to start either. Um, I have kind of a patchwork quilt of a history. Um, I was in the United States Army for 31 years, but about 20 of those years were as a reservist. So I also did other things along the way. Um, I was a midwife. I was a private investigator. I was a Christian missionary in the jungles of South America. Um, so I did a few other things along the way. I have, I have 10 children. I have eight biological children and two adopted children. Um, and during the course of this you know, patchwork quilt of a journey, I um, really dove into my Christian faith, obviously, being a missionary. Uh, but I came to realize after about 12 years that um, I really couldn't believe everything that I was being told uh, by the church. And after doing a lot of my own research, I, I walked away from the Christian church and uh, I practice what a lot of people call witchcraft today. Um, and so that journey has brought me through a lot of personal growth and a lot of change going from a conservative Christian to a, a gay witch. Uh, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> It's a big change. Um, so that's kind of all of it in a short paragraph. That's it in a nutshell, right? In one little paragraph. But you were a Christian. And when you reached out to me, we had emailed back and forth. And we mentioned that you were going to talk about the deconstruction of your Christian faith and how that led into now being a witch. So um, I guess I want to preface this with, I grew up Catholic. It's fascinating to me that the Catholics or the, you know, the Christians who came from the Catholic church uh, view witchcraft in such a negative light when in fact the Catholic church is full of magical practices. I mean, all of it, incense, prayers, candles, spiritual beings, what they're going to do for you, you know, what it means to be a saint. They have to have, perform certain miracles in order to be accepted in the sainthood. Um, the fact that they believe in artifacts that, that hold spiritual power, that can heal people and do these other kinds of miracles. They still, I mean, the Catholic church still professes to believe in exorcism. They obviously, and not only the Catholics, but many of the Christian uh, churches talk about demons as being real spiritual entities, as well as angels. Perhaps there's another name or perhaps they don't have the right perspective. But my point is that 
um, they are deeply involved in practices that are not so different from witchcraft in some ways. So for me, and you know, I did not grow up Southern Baptist where they eschew a lot of those practices. I grew up Catholic. So I met uh, one of my husbands <clears throat> and, uh, did you say one of your husbands? Yes, I did. Okay. I, I've been divorced four times, so uh-huh. there's, there's that too. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, does it? Well, sometimes you figure out much later in life that you were actually a lesbian. So. That's fantastic that you finally found out, right? Or realized <laughs> right? it, I should say. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm uh, happily dating a beautiful young woman now that I do. I married a man who was a, the son of a Southern Baptist preacher, and I had been not real close to my faith. I was kind of a Sunday Christian at that point, or maybe just an Eastern Christmas kind of a Christian. You know, he was very, very serious about his faith. And, uh, and so I sort of wrapped up all the things that I believed about my own spirituality and kind of subjective experiences that we have that are very spiritual and full of energy and emotion and the things that, um, that drive us to believe that there's more than just what we see. So um, I, I sort of wrapped all that up, and he seemed to have a lot of answers at the time when I asked hard questions about the faith that I had asked my whole life and never got answers for. So I, I, I bet, you know, a lot of people told me, this is the life, this is the way, our lives are better because of it. It's all true. Okay. So um, I jumped in, and I'm not the kind of person to kind of to half-ass anything. So, um, you know, there I was, living in the church like any good Southern Baptist. You know, my kids were in the nursery three or four times a week, and we were knocking on doors. Oh, yeah, knocking on doors. You were a door knocker? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, praying with people, converting people. Oh, yeah, I did it. Oh, what was that like? I was on the other side of the door. <laughs> I wouldn't allow the people that I was with to be pushy. Okay, so I, I was a firm believer, even as a Christian, that the only way to convince someone or persuade someone that your spiritual path is the right path is through love. That's it. There can be no condemnation. There can be no judgment. There can be no whatever rules. It has to be about love and that's it. So, and I have a strong personality. So when I went door knocking and you always go as a team, um, you know, they were always about loving. They were always about just expressing love to that person who's on the other side of the door. And of course, people are very receptive to that. In fact, I remember one time, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a little story that kind of talks about how I ended up leaving Christianity at one point, but I actually had a lot of books on magic and witchcraft and spirituality um, in my library, even as a Christian, even married to this Southern Baptist preacher who did become a preacher later, one of the nice Christian ladies in the neighborhood who was helping me unpack, noticed that I had these books on my bookshelf when we moved in, and she just had to ask me. And I mean, it was just like that too. She's like, um, I just have to ask you, why do you have these books on witchcraft? And I looked at her and I said, you know, I've known a lot of pagans and witches in my life. Um, and what I have discovered is that they are looking for a place to belong. They're looking for people who genuinely love them and accept them. What I've also noticed is that is not the church. And so that's really all I'd say about that. Anyway, believe it or not, as much of a, you know, I don't want to use derogatory terms, but this woman was very conservative, very sheltered, just like the that neighbor, you know. And she came back to me about a year later with some sentimental and said, I heard what you said. I listened to what you said, and you're right. We need, we need to think about that and be more open. So I, I don't know where that took her in her life, but all I'm trying to express to you is that 
for me, my Christian journey was about love. That was it. The message that convinced me that Christianity was the right spiritual path was the story of, of Jesus Christ's love, right? We, we love the story of the king who came down from on high, from his throne to be the normal guy and rescue us. It's, a, it's an amazing story. And we fall for it because we want to be loved in that way. But I continued to ask really hard questions about the Christian church and the things they actually believe. I went to seminary. I went to se- took four classes at seminary to really dig deep into the New Testament and the Old Testament and some of the, you know, the, the history behind it and the different interpretations and that sort of thing. And I have actually read my Bible all the way through more than once. I mean, it's very hard to swallow. And especially, actually, as a missionary, when we went to start raising money to go to the mission field, we went to churches of multiple denominations. We were not solely like, I was going to say married to, ha ha ha, um, the Baptist church. And so being able to talk to folks of different Christian backgrounds and understanding the different ways that they interpreted very key scriptures was very eye-opening to me. And I thought, okay, so Christians, I say that in quotation marks because it's a big group and they're very diverse, um, are very adamant that their interpretation is the only correct one. And they have all kinds of justifications for it that sound really good. Oh, you don't understand. This this ancient word means X. And the other denomination says it means Y. Eventually, after living this life for 10 years, like fully in, fully completely in, and continuing to ask these questions and continuing to watch people live the life. What I decided was that what the Christian faith teaches is not evident in the world. And I couldn't, I couldn't deconflict that. You know, I, I see Christians who um, pray that they get the new job and then they get the job and they give the, 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 the cause is because of their prayers. But at the same time, they say, oh, well, prayer is mysterious. And then you watch the four-year-old die of leukemia, and you're like, look, I don't know whose prayers work and who don't. Oh, well, that's mysterious. Okay, well, loving God. And kind of this is, I mean, I came to this conclusion, which I've also seen many, many, many times on social media, which is he can either be loving or he can be all-powerful, but not both. Because four-year-olds don't die of leukemia in a world created by a God who is all-loving and all-powerful. So it just doesn't match. Then when I decided that it really truly didn't match, and this was after um, I was married to, uh, I was in a very difficult marriage. And um, after spending, I'm not exaggerating, this is not exaggeration, hundreds of hours on my knees, on my face, praying to a God that I thought was going to help me. And after living my life as righteously as, as most people can manage, I mean, we all, you know, we know the church says sin is sin, but I was living a life in every possible way. After having sold everything I owned, I moved my seven children to the jungles of South America. The only thing I asked was that God would fix my marriage. That was the only thing I asked. And I didn't ask him to change my husband. I asked him to change me. Make me the right wife. Make me good enough. Make me, you know, fix the, I mean, you're all powerful, right? You're all powerful. You're all loving. And I've been praying about it for 10 years. For hundreds of hours. And it just was the revelation of, you know, that mother of the four-year-old who died of leukemia spent every night on her face crying to that one. I'm, you know, it's an imaginary person, but, um, and, and so this, I just can't, so I don't, I can't believe it. 
There's not, there's not an all loving, all powerful God. I do believe there are spiritual beings. I think that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is a spiritual being who declared himself a God. But I mean, there are stories in the Bible where he lost battles to other gods. It's like, okay, how are we reconciling this? Just doesn't make sense. I have a question about your mission. Mm -hmm. Was the purpose to convert people to your Christian faith? Yes. Yes, it was. All right. I'm always curious why someone would even care what another person believes, worships. What's your answer to that? Yeah, the answer is the one that I gave earlier. So in my desperate need to have another being love me unconditionally, which came from, this comes from, right? This comes from childhood trauma. This need to have someone that would love me unconditionally, it soothes your soul. I mean, it, it was nice to cry out, believing that someone was listening and had an answer, that someone had an answer, that someone was going to come rescue me, that the world didn't have to be the dark, scary place that it is. And I wanted to be able to share that experience with others, really. Now, I know that a lot of people say, oh, because they're going to hell. Listen, I heard that a lot, a lot, but I couldn't bring myself to believe that. So I never really believed that. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of Christians do. They really believe that you are going to, you know, burn in hell forever and they're trying to save you from it. And it hurts my heart to tell my Christian friends now because many of them know that I've walked away and they think I'm going to hell. So how did you decide on the path that you're on now? So when I first started, when I first left the mission field and I took that first big step away from Christianity, I did not throw it all out. I told myself for about five, six years that I wasn't going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, that I still believe because of my subjective experiences in prayer and, um, and I think what I believe now is more manifesting than it was praying to a deity, um, that, uh, I wasn't going to throw out Jesus Christ entirely, that I was going to try, I was going to go back and reevaluate everything from like with fresh eyes, right? Get away from the church and what the church told me, because I told you all those pastors told me something different anyway. I was going to go back and look at it myself. I was going to read it again and pretend like I didn't already believe anything and see if I thought it was true. So I spent five or six years exploring, really. Uh, I reread my whole Bible, um, but I started comparing it. I mean, we have smartphones now, so it wasn't, it's not as hard as it used to be. Um, but I read some books, and I listened to some podcasts, and I listened to some YouTube, and I did some reading on history and paganism and other spiritual paths, and my eyes were opened. I know it sounds so simple now. I mean, I almost feel silly about it now, but it's like all the stories in the Old Testament clearly line up with other historical stories of other religions. Like, so once I was on that path, it took a long time to debunk everything. So at first, my, my magical practices were essentially like pick any witch who has acne deity, right? Like it can be anyone, pick one. And how you worship that deity, I just worshiped Jesus Christ that way. 
so still the candles and the incense and the tarot and the things that some of us use in our practice, but I included the the auspices of Jesus Christ and, and, and him as a deity, right? He was on my altar rather than someone else. And I, I don't know, I didn't see any more of a conflict with this than I saw with Moses and the uh, parting of the Red Sea. So, uh, so it was okay for a long time. Um, but you were still a Christian, a practicing Christian, when you had your witch books that the neighbors saw. True. So you were curious? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I had a lot of pagan friends. So I was in, you know, how these things kind of overlap, right? You play D&D, or you, uh, you know, you like the Renaissance Fair, or you belong to the um, SCA, Society for Creative Anachronism. A lot of folks in those circles who are dabbling in magic or have a, a separate set of beliefs. And so I've had friends my whole life that believed other things. Um, so... And you were okay with that when you were a Christian? Oh, yeah. But I was also the one who invited... <laughs> I was also the one who would invite the... How do I say this politely? There are some... There's a, there's a group, a small slice of um, gay men community, the gay male community, um, that are, like, really out there like hooking up a lot, like a very flamboyant, very sexually active lifestyle. Okay. Now I don't judge whether. Do you mean promiscuous men? Yes. Yes, I do. And so. They're my friends too. They're my friends. They've always been my friends. So here I was like married to the Southern Baptist preacher and I'm friends with this guy at work and he's showing me his photo album of his um, stripper shows that he does, you know. <laughs> don't you just love people like that? I, I love them. <laughs> I love, I'm so grateful and so honored that even though I was living this Christian lifestyle, that they could see that they could trust me with that kind of, you know, information. And so I'm always the one who's like inviting those, those kind of people. I'm that kind of people, but you know, that I just had, I didn't pick and choose. I mean, I had other friends too. I'm just saying I had friends of all walks of life. How did your husband feel about your friendships with flamboyant gay men who were promiscuous? No, we had a really hard time with this. This is part of, I mean, you know, clearly we got divorced, right? He was an intensely judgmental Southern Baptist. Um, but I was a divorced woman with children. And he, he actually cho he chose to marry me. And then later, um, when we were close to divorce and we were being a little bit more honest with each other, uh, he told me that um, I had destroyed his calling from God. I'd single-handedly destroyed his calling from God because I forced, I uh, listen, I did not rape the man. I did not. Okay, There was all the signs, all the signals, all the enthusiasm was all there. Um, and I was careful about it for a while. So we had had sex before we were married. And that was his calling from God was destroyed. Um, and that he felt like I was. He was okay to have sex before marriage? Dirty and low. Oh, yeah. Well, no, he wasn't okay. He was a virgin. And so we had. So he felt like he had to marry me. He was forced to marry me. Because it was religious beliefs. So were you trying on the shoes? Yeah, I guess. Whatever, you know, and I didn't know any of this at the time. He didn't tell me these things, but he he looked down on me and kept me at a distance for many, many years after that. And he was an incredibly judgmental person. I was living the righteous lifestyle now, right? Like I'm I'm living it every day of my life. And I am bringing home friends who are in different walks of life or whatever. And I'm talking to him about what the Bible actually means. See, this goes back to that whole, I think Jesus Christ felt love, right? He doesn't have to be a God for the message to still be about love. I just want to say that out loud. 
in some ways, while I was still married to him, I was able to help him see that love really was the message. Now, I'm here to tell you that as soon as we got divorced, that went away. But your question was, how did he deal with it? Well, you know, I I just kept talking to him about how it was about love. <laughs> that was my answer. What husband number was he? Two. Number two. Did you have better luck after that? Husband number three was a very, a very good man. He was a good man. I just, um, he wanted, we wanted very different things in life and um, we were in the army together. So it's easy to get fooled. All four of my husbands were army. It's easy to get fooled by having that passion for your work in common. So you have all this passion for your work and that's what you talk about. And you love the conversations and you feel like they're intellectually stimulating and you feel like you have so much in common. And then you get married and one of you gets out of the army. It was always the husbands. They all got out. I didn't. And then when we didn't have that in common anymore, you discover that you really don't have that much in common. So you were in the military and your four husbands were also in the military. Yes. Um, and so my, my third husband was a, was a very genuine, good human being. We have a child together and he has also been an incredible parent to my other children. And he and I are still very, very good friends, um, which just speaks to, I, I always say this, after you leave someone, when you break up with them, that's when their true colors come out. And so, you know, the, the, I had three really abusive husbands and the one really abusive one. And the three abusive husbands are out there smearing me and saying horrible things. And they're just the most terrible co-parents ever. And then the one is like, just an amazing guy. And he called me right before this call, in fact, to talk about. What point in one of your marriages did you decide you were going to take the witchy path? Um, so it was just as I was divorcing the nice guy and marrying my last horribly abusive husband. Cause you know, that's what we do. We have to do it a few times. We can't learn the first time. And I think that in leaving my Christian faith, I always knew there was something spiritual out there. I absolutely believe that there's more than what we see with our eyes. There, there's a lot of reasons for that, but part of it is just a subjective experience of more than what is out there and or what you can see with your, your eyes. And so, um, I think having lost my Christian faith and no longer having this, you know, the God that I thought was going to help me to turn to, I became my own Calvary, right? Calvary's not coming. We have to rescue ourselves. And so I was looking for the way to rescue myself. And um, I started dabbling in tarot, really, was the first. I, I had a daughter. So hilariously, I have seven daughters and my three oldest daughters had been dabbling in witchcraft and hadn't told me because they were worried that I would not be happy about it. So one daughter came to visit and, sh- and the one child came to visit and they uh, had brought a tarot deck and had kind of said some little thing to me about it. I was like, okay, well, will you read my tarot? So they did. And it was, uh, it was, you know, kind of mind blowing. And so then after that, I kind of secretly got involved in it myself. But one of my other daughters was living with me. So she was seeing it unfold. And then she's coming out with her stuff. And then the other daughter, who was not one of those two, hey, I was the first one. I've been doing tarot for, you know, six years. You guys are way behind. Anyway, we all just like started blossoming. Like we just started bursting out with it. I'm reading every book I can find. You had three witchlings and didn't even know it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, it's hilarious. 
And so we all just started, yeah, reading and practicing. And, um, and so then I, we were doing rituals together. We were doing them separately. I actually started reading tarot professionally. <laughs> I got paid for it. How long have you been doing tarot readings? That was, I guess, about seven years now. Seven years, because that was my very first thing I started with. So it's been the whole time. I still do it at parties. <laughs> I don't do it professionally anymore. Still do it at parties. People think it's a party trick, but... Do you still read tarot for other people? Only occasionally. It's very exhausting. It's really exhausting. I, I really have to prepare myself. I mean, unless... I mean, I can just throw it out there, but it might be crap. You know, if I'm really going to do a good job, I have to prepare myself mentally and spiritually. Do you sleep with your tarot cards under your pillow Mm -mm. before you do readings? I never know when I'm going to do a reading. But if you know in advance, right? So what I do when I buy a new deck, so I bought a new deck the other day, I put it under my pillow and I sleep with it for a while. That's a good idea. So I can connect. It gets to know you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Some people would say, well, that's hocus pocus. Well, it's all hocus pocus. I I did find one thing really interesting about tarot reading though, and and um, my children who are which has also found this to be true for themselves is that we can't read our own tarot. We can be really really good at reading for other people and cannot read our own. And I remember distinctly one time my child called me just an anxiety, just an angst, angst. Mom, I've been trying to read my tarot and I just can't. I just am getting nothing. I'm just getting nothing. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. Hang on, just hang on. Let me just get it out. You know, so I do all the prep work and I get it out, I lay it out. And here's the most hilarious part. It was the most obvious things. It was so obvious. It was her anxiety about her fiance and whether or not he really wanted to be with her and he really wanted her children. Like there were just these really obvious things and they were like stabbing me in the eye from the tarot. Like you couldn't miss them. And as soon as I was done reading it, she's like, oh, you're right, mom. And I said, you already knew all this. You already knew it, but you wouldn't let yourself see it in the tarot because you didn't want to hear it. You know, when I want to do my own reading, which is not a good idea, in my opinion, I will do a spread and a 10 card spread and I'll see what I want to see. Or if I don't like the outcomes, like, okay, I'm going to reshuffle. (laughs) I don't like this. I don't try it. So I do ask other people to read for me for that purpose. No, I do too. And there's been a handful of times when I put the cards down with someone I know very well, who's very close to me, a child, a family a member, uh, somebody really close. And I see some terrible stuff in the cards like, and making the decision of what you're going to tell them. And here's the thing is that when you read your own tarot, you will not acknowledge that stuff. If it's hard or bad, you're going to be like, I don't know what it says. I can't quite figure it out. Really, you kind of know, but you don't want to acknowledge. I agree. And, and actually, I have another, my youngest also reads tarot. And the very first time we were at a party and she said, can I use your, can I use your cards to read tarot? I said, oh, sure, go ahead. So she made the girl cry. And she was 10 at the time. The girl cried at, at whatever it was that she told her. I don't even remember what it was. Did she tell her that she'd never live happily ever after or something like that? Yeah, I don't know. It was something really touching. I don't really, I don't know what it was. Um, but a little while later, she comes running up to me. My daughter does, 10 years old. She's in tears. She says, Mom, Mom, I read my sister's tarot. And she, I saw her and her boyfriend, her fiance, both me up. And I didn't know what to tell her. This is what my 10-year-old said. And I was like, oh, 
because I already knew it too. I had read some things earlier, right? And I was like, baby, when something like that happens, you just tell them something tough is coming up. You don't have to tell them everything because sometimes they're not ready to hear it. And it doesn't need to come from you. <laughs> I Is that terrible? But you know, when bad things happen or if we predict that something bad's going to happen, you know, life is all about change. So when one door closes, another one or five more or 10 more open. For sure. But the 10-year-old can't look at her 23-year-old sister and say, oh, your fiance's going to leave you. You know, like that's, I mean, right. And he did. It was, it was a blessing. It was absolutely had to happen. He was not good. But you can't. You just can't sometimes. But some readers don't want to tell anybody anything bad. But I tell my reader, whatever you see, tell me. I can take it. I'd rather be prepared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. I, I'll land on my feet. It'll be all right. The cavalry's not coming, but I trust myself to figure it out. And so, anyway, going back to that idea of the cavalry not coming, I... I started to really explore lots of things. I mean, I bought spell books. I bought, I have a huge library now and I have just, I've read literally hundreds of books on witchcraft and magic practices. When people ask me like what path I follow, there's no, there's not a path. This is, I read some ancient texts. I read a lot of brand new modern stuff. It's your path. Created my own way based on commonalities that I read and that, that appealed to me in those books. I feel like it kept me sane, actually. So during the time period prior to marrying my fourth husband and through the, the horrible abuse of that marriage and the in the year after ending that marriage, I think it was the magic practice that kept me sane. It kept me able to keep growing. Um, it gave me a modicum of control over my immediate life. I feel like it provided me some protection from a very abusive situation I could go on. But um, I think that's what drove me to it. I think that was your question is, how did you get to the place where you're like, oh, I'm going to do that too? Um, and some of the things that happened were incredibly evident, you know, that there was no explanation for um, other than witchcraft. So it really strengthened my belief um, in, in the actual manifestation of things I had worked toward. And I, I don't want to say, I mean, it's like Christians in their prayers, right? I mean, can we manifest things through praying? Well, yes, probably. Um, I just think that it's more about manipulating energy in ways that it's going to come to support what you are trying to do. None of it's going to do it by itself. You don't wave a magic wand like it is in the movies, right? Um, but if you can do some work that's going to bring the energies to the right place and start drawing them toward you, at the moment when they come together, there'll be an opportunity for the thing that you were working toward. It makes sense. And now, would you say that you're living your life authentically? Much more so now. It's hard for me to combine some of the areas of my life. I would like to be fully transparent about everything in my life and all the different roles that I play. Um, but I work for the government in a very conservative now. It's not as conservative as it used to be. It's professionally very conservative. It's very diverse and inclusive as far as allowing for religious freedoms. And there's a lot of uh, diversity in the workforce that I work. But talking about witchcraft or spiritualism as a religious choice is still very awkward. 
I'm a pretty high level person in this organization. And it, I have to think about how that would affect um, the way that my employees see me or the way that my supervisor sees me, even if they would say in their head that didn't matter. And so, and also having come out recently is the gay hasn't really hurt me uh, because this organization is very tolerant in that particular area. But, you know, I find that interesting because I am friends with many gay witches and they have found that being openly gay is much easier than being open about being a witch. Much easier. Much easier. So the rainbow closet is easier to come out of than the broom closet. Uh, I, I believe, I think so, yes. It's interesting to me that witchcraft just scares people. This was a thing that I always had a problem with in Christianity. People would be so afraid of demons and so afraid of witches and so afraid of things. And I was like, so you have an all-powerful, all-loving God that you have given yourself completely to. What in the world do you have to be afraid of? But this is another thing that didn't matter. Why be afraid? I mean, presumably you can say, you know, I, I, I belong to Jesus Christ and no demon should be able to hurt you. Presumably, right? So even the Christians themselves don't really truly believe their God is all-powerful or they wouldn't be afraid. You know, in the Christian church, there are so many rules, so many Christians that I've spoken with will say, you know, I can't get a divorce because of the church, or I can't have sex before marriage because of the church. I can't do this. I can't do that. But they all still bend the rules where they want to. So for example, I have a friend who's been married six times. And the reason she's been married six times is because she can't have sex before marriage because she's a Christian. Mm -hmm. So she marries them very quickly, like within a month or two, and then she learns who this person is, and they get a divorce, but divorce is okay. I thought the Christian church didn't allow divorce. I don't know. So I guess you pick whatever rules you want. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's a serious lack of accountability, personal accountability, because there's a, there's a certain amount of, well, I'm not responsible for really God is all the things I don't want to be responsible for or accountable for, I'm going to blame those on God. But then if you go to confession, then everything's forgotten, I guess, in some faiths, right? I was brought up in a Catholic church. And so when I was a kid, I had to go to confession to confess things that I wasn't even sorry for. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I consider it um, both sexual abuse and, um, I don't know what else to call it, and, and childhood abuse, I guess, to force. I mean, they, didn't, they did force us. I was going to say, well, I guess they didn't force us like with a gun to our head, but, you know, we were told in no uncertain terms, given a long lecture about how masturbating was just, I mean, like your hand is going to drop off. Like, this is the worst sin ever. You're going straight to hell, straight to a fiery pit. Um, but now, here was your opportunity at 12 years old to go up to an older male priest and confess that you were masturbating and that you had to do that or you were going to burn in hell. What in the, what? I mean, if you would reframe that in some other way where you were forcing young children of 10 and 12 years old, girls, to go to an older man and confess intimate sexual shit of any kind, I'm sorry, I mean, you'd be horrified, but somehow this is okay, literally globally. I just can't even now. I look back on this and I'm like, and I remember being so horrified and sick and embarrassed and just, I remember it being horrible. And I really feel for that little girl. 
I know that's terrible. I remember my son was kicked out of public school and our only option was to send him to a Christian alternative school. One day he came home and he said, you know, they told us that masturbation was a sin. And he told us all about the speech they gave them. And I said, you know what? You don't have to tell anybody that you masturbate if that's what you want to do, as long as it's in private and you don't have to tell anybody that you did it. And that's healthy and normal. And, you know, there's, there's a hundred other things I could say about the, the Catholic church and the Christian church in general, where they're telling young people things like this that are just wild. But I, I don't know. I had so many people. We do this, right? We have so many people in our lives, thousands of people literally telling us that this is the truth. And this is the right way. I'm a therapist. And a lot of times religion comes up when people are talking about their problems, whether it's, should I get a divorce? Should I do this? Should I do that? And it's tough when, for me, it's tough when they bring up their faith and it interferes with what they really want to do because they think they're going to be punished. Especially when it's something that's normal and healthy. Right. And shouldn't be condemned. Yeah, exactly. And the way the church treats women too, and then we could go on and on. You know, you were asking me something about how am I, am I my authentic self, you know? And so I'm trying to become my authentic self. And I think the, I still have a little bit of fear of not being able to progress in my career. I'm entirely transparent and authentic. We have this weird combination of Christian and politically correct that it, it makes it hard. So we already talked about the Christian part and why that's hard, but this politically correct part is very hard for me as well. I'm a really, I'm, I'm a tough leader, like tough love kind of a leader. Like I tell people the truth. I'm not unkind, but I believe in telling people the truth about their performance. I do all the things to support them, but I hear too much in leadership circles, because this is what I do. I hear too much in leadership circles about we're here to serve people and, and uh, lack of grace and we need to, I don't know, it sounds a lot like parenting. I'm like, no, we're not parenting. We're adults. And they're supposed to come to the job with a certain set of skills. It's very hard. Um, and so I tend to be, my point here is that I'm trying to figure out how to be very authentic about what I believe about genuine leadership that will bring companies success. It's about profit in case everybody's forgotten that it's not actually about people. It's actually about profit. Because if we don't have profit, we're all going to not have food, right? Um, but it's actually about profit and it's about numbers and that we are leading people to bring that profit to the company. And we need to do it in a humane way. But I think we've become so politically correct that people don't even know how to have hard conversations about real performance. Um, and it's hard to just be blunt about that because we live in such a politically corrupt society. And I'm trying to figure out how to balance that so that I can get my message through and actually help people because if it's too rough, they just won't hear it. <laughs> so there's, there's two aspects that I'm working on there with my authenticity. I, suppose. I believe we're always working on that. I mean, what I thought was authentic at 20 is different, you know, at 40 or 60 or whatever. And I think by the time I, I'm in my 90s, <laughs> like, I don't give a crap. Because <laughs> I'm there. I'm pretty much there. I don't give a crap. <laughs> it's a good feeling. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And also feeling like I actually understand a few things now that I really didn't. So 
understanding that it's okay to live in a place of moderation and not having to be, not having to wear everything on my sleeve, um, you know, that I can temper, I can teach, I can have more effect and help more people if I temper my message enough to get the message through, right? I mean, this is something that we learn with age rather than just throwing it out on people. And I feel the same way about, you know, look, allowing for people to actually have religious freedom. Because what I'm struggling with now is allowing my Christian friends to have religious freedom. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to admit it, but it's so hard for me to hear now. It's so hard. And especially because I actually believe that the Christian church is hurting people with their dogma and their beliefs and their judgment. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to do that because just like my pagan friends and my, um, you know, whomever, the, the folks who are not Christians that I was talking to and trying to convince them. I'm, I'm, so I try not to persuade people about anything these days. I'm like, oh, I'm not trying to persuade you. I am not trying to convince you of anything. I'm just sharing my experience. But that is hard. Well, instead of pushing my beliefs on someone else, the way I word it is, well, what I believe is, this is what I believe. I'm not telling anybody else what to believe. This is my experience. Right. And I'm, I'm trying to keep it there also with my Christian friends, just to maybe share another perspective because I know it's very hard for me. And you know, we can all learn from each other. True. We are about out of time. So is there one piece of advice you would like to give the listeners about your life experience that you think would help someone else? We only have one life. So do it. Don't be afraid. If you're in doubt, if you've been thinking about it for a long time, take the action. And while you're doing the action, you'll figure out if you need to adjust left or right a little bit. Um, but what you'll regret the most is 10, 20 years down the road when you didn't try it, you didn't look at it. Thank you, Melanie, for being a guest. It's been fun. It has. Blessed be. Thank you for joining us for Witch Casting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at Theodora Pendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time and may your magic always shine. Thank you.